Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, the Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Now let's join today's broadcast. Hey, Scott Sullivan here. Welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, a tribe of innovation brokers that thrive on bringing you top discipleship principles and practices. And today we've got Dr. Alan Jackson, and Ray Sullivan, and man, do we have a fun topic to upload. The, the title is Keys to Understanding, Reaching, and Discipling Millennials and Gen X. So this is actually a three-part series. Uh, Dr. P.J. Dunn led one last week talking about the Generation Alpha, Generation Z. Today, we're talking about Millennials, Gen X, and then Ray will actually have a third series as we talk about some of those later generations, the Boomers, uh, solid generation or World War II generation. So um, we well, hope you'll uh, follow those series. That'll be really important. And uh, we want you to know as well that our team can come to your church and actually do a training on these generations to help you understand all the generations in your church, how you connect, how you can reach them. Now, let me do a little bio here. Dr. Alan Jackson is both professor and pastor. He's also a speaker, author, thought leader, for over half of his adult life, he lived on the New Orleans Seminary campus, taught, researched, spoke in the field of youth and collegiate ministry, started Youth Ministry Institute at New Orleans and trained Gen Xers and millennials for, gosh, Alan, probably two and a half, three decades there at the seminary. He's written extensively. How many was it? 29. 29. I knew it was close to 30. So... You've written extensively in adolescents, collegiates, leadership training, Bible teaching, and you also have a super impressive coffee mug collection, correct? I do. Now, my, wife, my wife's is even more impressive. For real. So how many coffee mugs do you think y'all actually have in your house? Well, we uh, we only count the ones that are actually Starbucks mugs from oh, various okay. places. Okay, I don't count all the YMI mugs or anything like that, but uh, the Starbucks mugs come from cities and countries and states, and uh, there are probably 300 or so. There we go. There we go. Well, Alan now serves as senior pastor at Dunwoody Baptist Church, at least for the moment, Alan, because you are in this process of retiring, correct? Sort of, yes. Um, I don't know what we are in a succession plan, so it it may take a little while before we have somebody on board, and uh, I'll overlap with them for a season, and then go on to whatever adventure God has for me and Judy next. Absolutely. Well, Alan has also been a constant source of sage-like wisdom and friendship in my life, and uh, super grateful for you, Alan. We also have Ray Sullivan, discipleship consultant in the southern regions of Georgia on our team, has served for decades in local church, preaches and trains in hundreds of churches annually, and one of my closest friends and most trusted voices for sure. So uh, folks, I want to make sure that you listen to the end because we're going to be dropping some things. I'll just be honest with you, as we have researched for this broadcast, I've talked on generations for decades but there are actually things that I learned in preparation for this broadcast that we're going to share with you. So make sure you listen to the end. And at the end, I'm also going to share with you my greatest regret from leading millennials in my student ministry days. So hopefully that'll be helpful for you. Ray, tell us about how we can get some free product for listeners. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Good to see everybody today. You know, one of the things that's important to us is, is being able to resource uh, you guys out there. So here's what we want to do. We want to get you some resources. We want to get some free stuff in your hands. So here's how we do it. You just comment on this post today, put a comment somewhere. You're going to hear some information as we talk through this. And we want to hear from you. We want to know what you think and what you're dealing with in this. So leave a comment. You'll be entered uh, to win some of those free resources. And if you want to up that chance a little bit, then uh, share this and you will get double entry uh, into uh, the drawing at the end. And I don't know what the resources are, Scott, but maybe, just maybe, Alan may throw in one of those special Starbucks coffee <laughs> collections collection. 
I doubt it, but it's always a possibility. It's up to mama. <laughs> well, guys, hey, let's jump in here. Uh, let me lay a little foundation. So generations that we're talking about, you've got the greatest generation or GI generation, solid generation, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, uh, Gen Z, and then Gen Alpha. What we're focusing in today are the Gen X and millennials, and Gen X being the first generation with less people than any generation uh, that had come before. Um, and then also millennials being the largest generation, according to CNN uh, 2023 article that I read. So um, as we talk about understanding the experiences that shaped millennials, let's jump in here first. Um, I thought it was interesting. And some people may, obviously, you can probably kind of count where millennials, the name came from. But in 1991, Neil Howe and William Strauss wrote Generations, which included this discussion of millennials. According to Forbes, they felt as though the oldest members of their generation were graduating high school in 2000, and everyone was focusing on the new coming millennium. Therefore, that's where they got the name. All right. So here's one thing, Alan, and um, as we talk about things that shaped a generation, clearly the cell phone is one of those that shaped a generation. So uh, millennials were that first generation to be fully influenced by cell phone phones entire generation with a short attention span because of digital consumption, uh, their curiosity exploded because in their generation, they could immediately fact check and get on social media uh, no matter what was being said. You got any thoughts on the cell phone? Because I know in your experience with Why Am I and training millennials for decades, got any thoughts on this attention span, cell phone, how that curiosity, just how it affected them? Well, if you talk to professors, um, especially older ones, we we all remember. I started teaching at the seminary in 1994, and before that, I was teaching at the Atlanta Extension because I was a youth pastor here in Atlanta, and uh, I had students in my classes that met then at the Roswell Street Baptist Church up in Marietta, and there were no cell phones or laptops in the classes. No, nobody had, you know, we, we forget that the internet just really became user-friendly in the early 90s with uh, Netscape and uh, then the social media, MySpace, Friendster. That, that only really emerged in the 1990s, early 90s. And so in the early 90s, broadband internet was not available. You, and you had no dial-up internet in a class. And so I, I would tell you that over the years that I taught, the migration from uh, students sitting in class taking notes, engaging in conversation, to the multitasking that was true in the, uh, the 2010s with almost every student having a laptop open on, the, on their table, almost every student simultaneously connected to multiple uh, platforms as well as pretending to engage in the material that was going on in class. And this is everywhere. Yep. Uh, th this, this is everywhere. We, we have meetings at church that we call digital free meetings where we insist that nobody brings in a laptop, an iPad, a phone that, that we want there to be a meeting. We make those shorter, but we say, let's get full attention and, and if you go to uh, the grocery store or the DMV or it's like there's an automatic, uh, almost like the old West when a, when a gunslinger pulled his gun out of his holster, if, if the mind is idle, there's an automatic opening of the cell phone. And we, we have to know that that has impacted attention span. So the studies even suggest that the um, the prevalence of uh, attention deficit and a attention deficit hyperactive are somewhat correlated. You you obviously can't imply cause, but are correlated to the idea that uh, the mind is never idle. Uh, the mind never uh, reflects, never uh, contemplates that even in church. Um, funny story about that when the world cup 
uh, final was played on Sunday several years ago, the internet at our church crashed during worship. And it wasn't because we had too much going on in worship. It was because <laughs> almost every person in the congregation was also on our Wi-Fi watching the World Cup on their phone. Yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. They they refrained from cheering during my message, which would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, had I remained ignorant about the source, <laughs> but uh, the the I I believe that the widespread Wi-Fi and cellular has uh, has. Uh, impacted greatly the uh, response and reaction and engagement of the millennials and the Gen X. And of course, it's crept up to the boomers. Mm. Um, we just have bigger phones with bigger screens. That's <laughs> it. And, and so one of the ideas that I was looking through here and noticed that on, you know, HubSpot says that, um, and I didn't know this, I'm, I'm, I'm not tracking which one is heavier, but it says that actually with millennials, that Instagram is running ahead in terms of that social media platform that is uh, providing the most value for them with Facebook being a close second. And it said that in the last three months, 91% of boomers, 88% of millennials, and 83% of Gen Xers have visited Facebook in the last three months. So interesting. got TikTok. Yeah. And TikTok was in there, but when it was interesting. I'm pretty sure TikTok is between Instagram and um Facebook, if not above Insta. Yeah, which was interesting to me because according to that, now this was January, so so I'm not sure since then, but according to this, though those were the top two. So, uh, of course, we know that you and I are on TikTok all the time, Doc. So that's the way we roll. Yeah. TikTok, TikTok probably would be more of that conversation we had last last time with uh, Chris and Jenny. You're probably yeah. more there, Gen Alpha, Gen Z. Um on those 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 platforms yeah well, it it sort of does blend in with the description of uh millennials and gen z and even gen x um and and baby boomers who have not gone off grid mm. uh many many in in my generation are are tempted to just chuck it all uh just go solar go natural gas just get off grid because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. I was talking to a young mother yesterday at our church and uh, we were talking about the engagement of her six-year-old, which I guess is Jen Alpha. And she said they had to put a, a, a temporary hold on YouTube because a six-year-old will watch one video after another, after another, after another, after another. And the curation of that content is the platform. So that would be true with Instagram. It would be true with um, TikTok. It would be true with YouTube, yeah, Facebook Reels, that the curation of that, that video content is based on all the other clicks and preferences we've all seen the movie the social network if we haven't we need to uh to talk about the algorithm that even listens to you in order to um uh curating the content that you'll see so if that's true in matters of faith all said that in the latter times people will want to have their ears tickled uh and so if our religious content is curated in the same way that all the social media content, then millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Zers are getting a steady diet of uh, echo chamber commentary that's directed by their previous looks. So if they look at a at this kind of preacher, then the next five videos are going to be another preacher who preaches a similar message. And it's going to get further and further into a, a, a fringe area. And that's one of my deepest concerns in this conversation is the lack of middle ground. Mm. Uh, that that the, um, I think, Scott, we've had another um, podcast where we talked about the post-truth culture. Yeah. Where we um, 
where facts are not that important as long as I'm emotionally connected to a point of view. Mm, yeah. And we see it in our convention, we see it in our politics, and certainly all of us see it in our individual churches. Yeah, for sure. Well, this um, the millennial generation, as we work through here, is the first generation with less people than the generation before it, uh, first with the ability to fast fact check you in real time, which honestly, guys, is, has been a point of accountability when I was local church and speaking every week. Uh, you gotta, you gotta know that what you you say is actually true. A um, couple of the other elements, events that affected millennials, uh, of course, nine one one, the Obama election. Now, what movies do you guys remember, or do you think are connected with this generation millennial? Lord of the, the Rings. Yeah, Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Uh, Titanic. Now, some of these, as you look at dates, um, I, I do want to acknowledge when we talk about dates, we're generally looking at that 1984 to 2000, but depending on who you who your researcher is, some go a little earlier, some go a little, a little later. So, But those are some of the uh, movies there, the rise of the global internet. Of course, we know that Al Gore invented the internet, right? Sure. <laughs> For sure he did. Um, so an interesting note. So in, in researching this, really for the last probably decade, millennials are less likely to marry, less likely to go to church, less likely to be in a political party, and less likely to join the military. Now, let's just pause. And I didn't prep you guys, so if you don't have great thoughts here, that's just cool. But as I was working back through this this morning, that just really struck me. So when you think about what has affected them, parents in uh, political society. Why do you think this is a theme with millennials, with less likely to marry, go to church, be in a political party, and join the military? Alan? If you were on Jeopardy, it would be the category, what do these four have in common? Distrust of institutions. Absolutely. There is a... Um, there's sort of a residual, and of course, Alan Strauss, in their book, um, the book before the one you cited was called The Fourth Turning. And in that book, they suggested that generation characteristics repeat themselves and that the rugged individualism of the greatest generation would repeat in the millennials. And if they distrust institutions, I'll do it on my own. I know I need community like the church, but I just don't take uh, part in that. I, I don't want to be a part of the military because there's just a bunch of people that'll tell me what to do. I don't want to be a, a married because why do I need that formal commitment if I can go in and out of relationships that provide all the same, quote, benefits? Why do I need politics? Um, they're all hypocrites. They're all um, immoral, the same thing that this generation tends to say about church leader. Mm -hmm. It's good. Ray, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I really wouldn't add a whole lot to what Alex said. I think he's dead on with that. But, you know, when you asked that question, the first thing that came to my mind is just, you know, just the focus on self. You know, all of those things, when you look at that, um, it is more of a self-focus rather than an others-focused. Um, and I, I see that really being developing a lot more. And, and it goes back to what Alan said. I mean, just distrust of institutions and larger order and more focused on me and, and my environment and what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And we don't have to go too far down that rabbit hole, but the idea of distrusting institutions, of course, didn't start with millennials. When you think about Gen X, like we haven't liked institutions. Like even when you think about the institution of marriage, like in, in the institution of the church. Well, my generation grew up as the latchkey kid, Gen X. Um, the marriage was falling apart. You know, that's all been a part of it. So that distrust started with one and is getting worse. All right, here are a few other ones here. Largest generation in the current American workforce are the millennials. So they are literally shaping what and how we do the workforce, the workplace. They're waiting later to get married nearly 30 years of age, more identified with LGBTQIAPK than any other generation. 
They're very spiritual, but less religious. They made popular long beards, flannel, and fedoras. But um, let me just be honest here, Alan. They may have made it look cool, but they didn't start it. Because us Absolutely Gen X, we, we are Gen X threw down some flannels, and uh, we just didn't look good with beards. Yeah. Well, and if they think that Gen X invented the uh, flannels, then they weren't around college in the 70s. <laughs> it was thick in the 70s, wasn't it? Well, ball hats were invented for 8 o'clock classes, and you just needed three flannel shirts that you sort of interchange. There you go. All right, Ray, run through some Gen X. What shaped Gen X? Yeah, so Gen X, when we talk about Gen X, we're talking about, you know, that generation from, from the late 60s. Uh, you know, our generation, here we are, we're talking about this. And I was looking over this list, and I thought, man, this is this is my life. You know, as I grew up, I remember, you know, the end of the Cold War. I remember um, the wall coming down. You know, I, I remember the movie The Day After, you know, when we think about um, the Cold War, the Challenger disaster. I remember sitting in middle school and and or actually in the first part of high school when when the Challenger uh, blew up. Rise of the personal computer. Uh, my first computer in college was was a DOS base, a green dot. You know, look like the old NASA movies. Uh, and then all of a sudden, by the time I graduated from college, we had a personal computer um, that we could take home with us. The age crisis, um, the fear. Um, you know, we grew up with MTV. Uh, MTV shaped our culture. Um, you mentioned raised that. raised much of the generations. Yeah, and, and part of that was because of latchkey. You know, like you said, um, we grew up both parents working, and um, you know, we came home, took care of ourselves. You talked about movies. Some of my favorite ones. I mean, I remember Star Wars and ET and Jaws and uh, Grease and Rocky. I mean, that was that was that was our generation. Uh, on the education side, first generation. Hey, Star Wars has been the last five generations. It has. It has. But they just keep making more movies. Continue. Um, Gen Xers, um, you know, the first generation were women, were more formally educated uh, than men. Huge difference uh, there. Uh, first generation to experience the full effects of divorce uh, that you talked about, Scott, and both parents working outside the home. Um, 55%, uh, some of the latest stats here, interesting, 55% of startup founders we're Gen X, uh, but part of that is we've incurred more debt than any other generation. Mm-hmm. Stop there for a second, Ray. Can I? Because what you just said about the percentage of uh, Gen Xers that were part of startups, mm-hmm. a lot of that was because they had nowhere to go in corporations. Yeah, The baby boomers were still occupying all of the upper level management positions all of the pastorates of the larger churches, all of the, the, the baby boomers were this ceiling for the Gen Xers that I think pushed to that startup idea. Mm-hmm. And if we leap forward to our topic today, it shouldn't surprise us that millennials are more interested in church plants than they are established churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It shouldn't surprise us that uh, a church that has to, set up every day or that meets in the back room of a coffee house or 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 whatever uh, i was uh, i'm mentoring a gen x pastor i mean a millennial pastor and he said we have come full circle we now don't want to set up every week anymore we we want something where we can put down some roots because the tear down set up load in load out at a movie theater, at an elementary school, at a store in the mall, that has lost its uh, adventurous spirit with them. And uh, in Louisiana, Scott, they used to say, "What comes around goes around." Yeah, and and so the not to get away from your your original, it shouldn't surprise us that the the startups were the Gen Xers. Well, the startups in church were millennials. That's where. The youth ministry uh, student being the avant-garde maverick of the institution, that gave way in the uh, mid-2000s to the church planters. So if you're going to be a maverick, if you're the one that doesn't dance to the tune and and has, you know, you across campus, you say, oh, that's a youth minister. Well, that 
that declined in my latter years at the seminary campus and the mavericks, the young mavericks were all church planners. And so the frustration that the Gen Xers had about upward mobility in corporate America, that uh, presented in church work with the millennials. Okay, so we're pulling on a thread right here that I think is absolutely critical. But Sorry to interrupt your train of thought, Ray. No, no. This is this is really good for both of you. So so check this out. So as I study the generations, there is a pendulum swing. Every next generation, the the pendulum swings back the other direction. So I've got a question that I don't know an answer to. I'm gonna get your thoughts. You know, we we had the church, the boomers filled those upper level positions, pastors, denominations. The next group, millennials were coming through, we noticed there was a ceiling. They couldn't get into those organizations. They weren't jumping into the pastor. They'd have to be a, an associate for 15 years before they took, you know, took that guy's position. So they went, and now they're, they're starting church plants. They're doing their own thing. Do you guys think that the pendulum is going to swing back to maybe somewhat away from church planting being the hot new thing? to revitalizing existing churches is going to grow in the future. What are your thoughts? I doubt I would, it. Yeah, I would I would definitely say I, I'm seeing some of that. Uh, I don't think we're in a place where we've seen the, the full move of the pendulum there, but I, working with pastors every day, I do know of some pastors, I know of one right now, that, that planted a church and pastored that church for 12 years um, and is excited now to be considering and looking at a replant opportunity or a revitalization because of the stability uh, of a more traditional church, of, of the structure, um, of ministering to senior adults and boomers, uh, you know, and not just all millennials. So I, I have a cousin um, that um, kind of came in on the beginning of the millennials that really is in the, the kind of cultural scene but when they think of church, they think of the traditional church because they want the they, they think the church needs to be different from the culture. So they're fighting that um, and looking more. So I think there may be, Scott, there may be a swing, a pendulum there um, of more traditional. I was in Savannah the other day walking downtown and there was a church downtown Savannah that had a sign and the sign out front said, you know, a contemplative, uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was traditional worship. Uh, and that's a church that's appealing to a younger generation in downtown Savannah. So, which fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely, Alan. I hear I hear that same comment and every time I'll go to a, a convention leader when they talk about you know like millennials and to churches, and it's like they're they're leaving almost the mega church rock star pastor, and are preferring now the smaller community church with a pastor who just preaches the word. Um, and a little more orthodox. Yeah, our uh, at at our church we have two very different kinds of services. So our Scott, you've been to both. Our eight thirty service is very traditional. We've not tried to do any blends. We we have an orchestra. We have choir. We have hymns, anthems, and uh, our. Um, our draw of millennials to that service is people who grew up with something and right. and in a in a place like Metro Atlanta, they are not really finding it in the the hazers and the moving lights and the a green room mentality. Mm. And so they we ended up putting in our Bible study hour between the two services. Because millennials may go to one, they may go to the other, and they may go interchangeably. Maybe they feel a little rock starish one day, they go to the 11. Uh, maybe they feel like they want the comfort of the hymns they grew up with, they go to the 830. Um, I don't really think that replants are the future for millennials unless it's a an older congregation that has 20 people left and they quote merge with a church plant or a start and they basically make sure that their resources and their facilities 
are um, are invested in future uh, gospel rather than the uh, um, just letting the church die and the church property go up on the courthouse steps. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to me to watch how that develop. I, I don't see us getting away from church planting at all. Uh, I do wonder if, and a part of me even hopes the replants, the rebirths, um, that there's some renewed vision there. Add mergers, add mergers. mergers. I, I yeah. think that's the, the 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 problem with church planters is that they have to raise venture capital, mm-hmm. and the the perception is that they're trying to raise a whole bunch of money so they can sit in Starbucks for two years trying to drum up a crowd and convince people they're the next Andy Stanley. Yeah. And a lot of them, Nam talks about all the ones that, that don't make it past two years. Well, the real hard thing is, is what this millennial pastor is discovering that, that the constant investment of startup energy with no end in sight of getting a rhythm, uh, when a church that is a plant identifies a church uh, building or a church property that's already zoned as a church, that's already built out as a church, that's already got sacred spaces of a church, then that's the that's sort of the the dream relationship is that an older congregation realizes that they can no longer reach the people around them and they give way enthusiastically offering the wisdom and the uh the experience and the resources of a previous generation mm-hmm. so that the startup doesn't have to run out of money and have to raise uh capital every two years yeah and i saw a stat the other day that there was like several hundred billion dollars worth of church buildings that um we're going to be looking for ministry to happen because things are falling apart in those places and so Hey, Ray, any other thoughts, uh, notes you want to make on the Gen X before we get to our question? Now, I was just thinking back, and I, I was kind of giggling, chuckling to myself. You talked about, you know, the long beards and the flannel uh, and the fedoras. And I remember, you know, for, for us Gen Xers, I mean, I had the parachute pants. I had the rising sun. Hey, we made them famous, baby. He was shirt. I had the, you know, the the permed back mullet, um, you know, in the boombox. So, um don't know that I. We never, that we never made that look cool. I mean, it, <laughs> it never was. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, hey guys, look here. Gallup survey recently showed that church attendance in U.S. has fallen below fifty percent for the first time since keeping those stats. Twenty percent of Americans attend weekly. Forty-one percent of Americans attend monthly. Sixty-four percent of millennials do not attend at all. So here's my question. Do you all see any mindset shifts that leaders need to make if we're going to reach and connect and disciple our Gen Xers and the millennials? Any thoughts there, go there? Scott, read the, the, the rest of that survey that identified like four reasons that are pretty specific as to why the millennials say they don't go. Is that the one from uh, New Off? Uh, well, it was in the Barna survey, yeah. and they, they said they— that their perception is that it is hypocrisy, mm-hmm. that the leaders are immoral. There are just way too many instances where a leader is immoral. Um, they um, don't feel like they are able to express genuine doubts. Yeah. They they think that their their doubts are not um, uh, considered with any kind of uh, of uh, real uh, understanding that they're just met with condescension and you're just too young to know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is a, a sense that they desire community, but it's just too much work. Mm-hmm. That uh, the, they compartmentalize very well. And so there's a part of them that wants to get their Bible study from a podcast because they don't have to engage, yet there's a part of them that desperately wants to engage. Yeah, which is interesting because other, other you know, article surveys you see that millennials 
and even somewhat Gen X are looking for meaningful relationships and meaningful conversation. So it's almost like some of the actions that we see are not matching that deepest need that they're expressing. And that word that keeps coming back, and it goes back to what Alan said there, is just the authenticity. Yeah. And hypocrisy is such a big issue, and, and it's authenticity that they're looking for. It's authentic relationships. Um, and those relationships are formed by time together and not necessarily just meeting together. Yeah. The other two on that list were that they believe the church is irrelevant, mm-hmm. that it doesn't speak to the issues that concern them. And uh, then the uh, the last one um, on that list that uh, that Barna spoke to, he said the um, there's a sense that God is missing. That when they go to church, they want to find God. Mm-hmm. They want to touch with something transcendent, and they either get a a very crafted talk. Or uh, in our in our worship space, we we challenge ourselves on a regular basis. Where is contemplation built in? Mm-hmm. And the 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 right answer to that is that contemplation doesn't make good TV. Mm-hmm. That when there is a prayer time or a discipline of silence. If you're watching on a live stream, you're going, something's wrong with the feed. Yeah. And so the the churches that are production-oriented are not able to build in contemplation or um, reflection. Uh, you know, when we do the Lord's Supper, there's always the question, do we go offline? Do we do we take that uh, uh, end the 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 a live stream because now we're going to take the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. or do we somehow try to say if you're at home I hope you've got some bread I hope you've got some juice join us in this and and then you try to extend that contemplation but millennials are telling Barna at least they don't find God at church they just find a show well wow which I guess is important for us to know, especially when we start talking about these mindset shifts that we're going to have to make, because clearly what we've done up to this point is not working really well if we're losing ground um, in all different categories of generations. So as we shift into that idea of mindset shifts that we need to make, any thoughts there that you guys would would kick out about um, shifts that we need to make if we're going to connect them, reach them, disciple them, and launch them? Your language shapes your culture. So if your language, um, I, at the risk of being censored, um, there were people that observed that the Southern Baptist Convention meeting last week was a bunch of old white guys. Hmm. And, and while that's not entirely accurate, uh, when a millennial walks into your church and what they see is old white guys or white women or or baby boomers that are telling them how to be um they're probably going to turn around and walk out Hmm. does your space suggest something from the 60s or the 90s do your greeters have parachute pants on come on uh is there anything about the space that suggests that there is an awareness that times have changed? Um, Scott, you've seen our our renovation at the church. Yeah. I don't know why that renovation accelerated visits by millennials, but it did. Yeah. It's a different look. It has a, a, a more modern look to it. It doesn't have a four-column red brick. The door's open. There's a deacon standing there handing you a bulletin. It's a, it's a different look. And same pastor, old white guys, still the pastor. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, millennials have begun to visit. And as they visit, 
the place becomes more diverse as the place becomes more diverse. And I'm not talking about inclusion. Our, our, we are very orthodox at our church. Yeah. Well, our, our message is unwavering. The, the Bible is authority. We, we're, we're, we're very, very conservative. But in our, in our, um, methodology, we have, uh, created a space where, yeah, you can bring in a cup of coffee and, and yeah, you can have uh, a little bit of anonymity because it's dark and, and yes, there is a performance aspect to what's going on on the stage, but something about just the, the way the space is set up has for some reason drawn, uh, increasing number of millennials who are guests. Yeah. And the generations behind. I love it. Bray, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I would just add, I, I think, you know, my experience has been that, that Gen Xers, you know, my, my age and millennials, they, they want to be involved. They, they want to make a difference. They want, they're, they're not really as interested in, I think you had, we had talked about, you know, the quote, instead of the primary goal, of the church being the church gathered, it's the church gathered and launched, you know, and I, I think so. The attendance numbers are down. It's not that 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 people are not against faith or religion. They just don't see that maybe the necessity of meeting every week if they don't see the impact, if it's not making a difference in the community. So my experience several years ago in that was a conversation with a lady in my community that was a leader that came to me one time and she said very specifically, she said, Ray, my problem is the only time I see churches getting together is when they're against something. And she said, when's the last time we've seen the churches for our community? You know, what are the churches doing to minister to our community, to help our community? And I mean, I had no response to that. She was exactly right. And so one of the things that we did at that time was trying to launch, uh, not the idea of come to our church so that you can come and sit and hear what we have to say, but come to our church to be uh, plugged in and involved in ways that we can impact the community for Christ. And so we started doing uh, ministries there throughout the church into the community. Now, I've seen that in some of the millennial-focused churches down here in South Georgia. I know two of them in particular. They have a they have a bonus because one of them is in Coffee County. One of them is in Bacon County. Come so on. in Coffee County, their whole, their whole strategy, their mission is basically for coffee, right? So the whole thing is for Coffee County. We are here to reach Coffee County. Now, for coffee works because everybody's for coffee. But I, I can relate. Oh, yeah. I'll as a church that is for the community. How do we minister our community? So another one, another young church, a church plant, a millennial church, is in Bacon County. And I'm for Bacon. I can tell you that all day long. I'm always for Bacon. Um, but it's just the idea that we don't exist to be against, always against the culture. We are We are here to impact the culture and to serve the culture and to reach people with the gospel. And I think that resonates uh, with Gen Xers and Millennials. It absolutely does. And yet their attention span is a nanosecond. Very So small. these church planters that talk about, let's get our team together, our core team, and we're going to load the trailers and we're going to unload the trailers and we're going to set up the kids space and we're going to, and we're going to, and we're going to, he's, he's going that, that team has lost interest in doing that every. Yeah. And so your, your mission projects are short term. You say we're gonna we're gonna go on this trip. Uh, we have a group of uh, younger men right now that are down at a, a camp in uh, uh, Roberta, Georgia, Camp Grace, and they're doing a a camp rehab week. So it's camp for millennials, but they're working every day with the view that children are going underserved children are going to be helped by this effort in the. The short-term mission things seem to appeal a little bit more than can you do this every week for the next ten years? Right. They they it's like the rest of the commitment. It's like uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna condescend because I th I think all of us have a fear of missing out. If if I commit to a small group and something cool comes up on a Sunday night, you know I get tickets to Atlanta United on a Sunday night. Oh, I, I think that's not uh, just the millennials. 
but I think it is heightened with millennials because they are a generation that has never not known choices, lots and lots of choices. Yeah. And I would just say to that, Alan and Scott, I, you know, we are in no way saying I'm a preacher and I believe in truth and I believe the church needs to be the one that is sharing truth with, with the culture. But but information alone is not what this generation is seeking. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we see that, I, you know, we can get information anywhere and we are overloaded with information. So people want application. They want to use it. They want to plug it in. And I'm seeing you know, this in the last 10 years, we're just seeing a boom in short-term mission trips that people want to go. They want to serve. Yes, they'll give. Yes, they'll write a check, but they really want to be a part. They want to serve. They want they want their hands and feet involved in it. And so churches that are embracing that as far as even with a cooperative program, yes, they're supporting the cooperative program. Yes, they're giving, but they're also building that support because their people are actually doing missions themselves. Absolutely. That's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And Ray, if there's ever been two counties that need to unify, it's Bacon and Coffee County. Bacon and Coffee. Hey, so let me share a couple of mindsets um, that I've noted as I've worked through. One is the mindset to separate method and mission. I feel I feel like a lot of our churches have combined those two, and they live where they're married to their method and their mission because the mission never changes, but our method always has to. But when we don't, to Alan's point, when we are not updating facility. When we are not um, making strategic language and visual shifts to connect with people when they're there, then that makes it difficult. So, so separating method and mission is very important. Second one is focus on what um, these two different generations can do, not the problems they bring. Because the reality is that millennials have never had a strong connection with the church. So we don't want to be mad at them. In the, and if you look at the percentage of Christians since the World War II generation, it has continually dropped 65%, boomers 35%, Gen X 16%, millennials 11%, Gen Z 7%. So the key is to find ways to connect, which leads to my next um, question that I'm going to throw out to you because we are going to run short on time here pretty quickly. So I'm going to go ahead and get to some action steps. Are there some specific action steps that you guys are seeing or any best practices that we can upload right now. When we when we understand Gen X, when we understand millennials, where they're coming from, what has affected them, what are you seeing that's working? What are some things that we can do to actually connect, reach, disciple, and launch them? Uh, Alan, you want to jump in there first? I, I did two come to mind right away, and that's back to when you sit down and do your worship plan, build in reflection. Uh, we did a survey of our church and found out that that a an embarrassing number of people only read the Bible when they're in church and only pray when they're in church. And so if they only pray when they're in church and we never give them time to pray, we can either bash them because they don't pray outside of church or we can get them engaged in that spiritual discipline and show them how wonderful it is by allowing there to be some contemplation within the boundaries of the service. Uh, the second one is to let all of us who are uh, an older generation, whether that's Gen X or uh, Baby Boom, to examine our presuppositions to say, do I allow legitimate doubt? When I listen to a question from a younger adult, do I automatically try to form a response in my head or do I really listen to what they have to say and, and even give it some legitimacy, uh, even, even allow it to be uh, a place of uh, uh, maybe an adjustment in my mindset or do I simply condescend and back to the you'll know better when you're older. And, and so those would be two, the, the, the idea of reflection and then maybe a little uh, self-examination for us who are older to say, do we actually entertain? Would, would I listen to an LGBTQIAK20 whatever? Do well, Will I really listen to what they have to say or have I already made up my mind 
that I'm just looking for an opportunity to throw Romans one at him. And, and I, and I, and I'm not at all saying that we're, that we move away from the, the orthodoxy, the morality, uh, they, they actually want somebody to stand for something, but they want someone to stand for something with, uh, a reason behind it. That's more than just because I said so. Man, that, that's good. Right. Any thoughts there? Yeah, that, that's that's good. I'm, I'm thinking there's so many different things we can say here, really. Um, and in a short amount of time, I think the one thing I would probably lean into, and I'm looking over your head, Scott, at the side there, bet the farm on relationships, and we go back to authenticity um, and relational. This this generation can get information anywhere uh, at any time, but what they don't have is they don't have connection and authentic relationships. And so leaders in the church that lean into that that um, believe in modeling and mentoring and doing life with people that may be smaller in smaller groups. It's not, it's not the large program. It's not the, as, as Alan talked about, it's not the, uh, the big show, maybe with a thousand or 2000 people I'm trying to reach at one time, maybe it's just one or two or three, but those relationships I think stick. And I think that's a leadership pipeline. I think that's where our next leaders come from. We talk about calling out the call, um, the pulpit is a powerful place. I'm a preacher, 32 years. That's what I've been doing, and I believe in it. But I believe Jesus also modeled those personal relationships and getting into people's lives and getting to know them, knowing where they are, what are they dealing with, and and teaching them along um, the path of, of doing life with them. And so where I'm seeing the guys that are making the difference in churches is the ones that are willing to think smaller in order to go bigger and mm-hmm. uh, really beginning to focus on disciple-making spending that individual time uh, investing in the lives of people. And I, and I think that really speaks to uh, a generation that can get information and entertainment and whatever they want at any time just by picking this up. So you know, off now. So they can get it any time. But um, those relationships, those real friends and contacts and uh, mentors and life leaders, uh, that takes work and takes time. Yeah. Well, let me work through a few here. And I, and if you guys have a thought on these, because I've got four or five under each of these generations, and I want you to jump in if you've got a thought. And I loved your thought on building reflection, Alan. I've noted that in my notes. Here's one for Gen X. A church can offer caregiver support because if you, one of the reasons we went through the characteristics of what shaped them is because you got to know what shapes people in order, in order to know how to reach them and connect them and disciple them. So Gen X is beginning to care for aging parents. Like I'm one of those. We have a unique opportunity to teach them how to care for aging parents and to be a resource for them. Gen X suffered incredible financial instability. Recession of the 90s, dot-com bust of 2000, subprime mortgage 2008, wiped out 50% of Gen X savings. What about financial planning and classes, opportunities to help them understand some of those um, help them see Christ-centered family as a legitimate option, even though their whole experience was the breakdown in the in the cycle of divorce that's happening, you know, that they experience. And then a fifth one, recognize that most do not have a godly model of parenting. So as the church, we, if we can help them with a model, connect them with people that may have done that well, we can be that number one asset to help them accomplish it. Now, think about millennials. I don't think that the millennials that I have discipled coming through student ministry, when I think of them as, as parents now, they don't see the church as the number one equipper of parents. They see the church as the number one discipler of their children. I think that we as a church have an opportunity to be the number one equipper of parents and help them see themselves as the number one discipler of their children. Alan, you got any thoughts right there? Because I know you've spent a ton of time with parents and discipling and uh, family and children? Tough hill to climb. But again, coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention, the idea that families are led by parents and the kids aren't following the shots, making the decisions that there is a and equipping of, first of all, marriages, uh, then parenting at all stages, uh, you know, 
uh, back in the day, Scott Brian Haynes talked about the mm-hmm. uh, the ministry milestones, the the idea that there were um, there there were specific parenting uh, resources that are needed for uh, people who are at various life stages, but but to emphasize the the marriage, the home, uh, the life of a single adult with integrity, that to to view life in context of family uh i think that we we go hard back to that yeah good word here's another millennials love to travel and they love a call a cause so why not lean into missions locally and abroad give them an opportunity to travel give them an opportunity of a cause that's bigger than themselves that they can attach to and by the way millennials are inheriting all our money and the money of those boomers that amassed incredible wealth, right? Kerry Newoff in his podcast said that millennials will be the most generation, uh, most generous generation in the history of America. And I just think that's interesting, his comment. And the reason was because we're undergoing the greatest wealth transfer ever seen with $30 trillion being transferred to millennials in, the, in, in some of the Gen Z. Gen Z. And they're used to spending other people's money. Oh, my goodness. And getting stuff for free. Go to college for free, not having to pay for, you know, all of that. Morgan Stanley reported that the velocity of millennial income has increased at a pace that's never been seen before. And yet, Scott, the anxiety in that generation, because they do not have what they grew up with now. Yes, they, they, all of a sudden they look at their apartment and they go, this is not much space compared to the bedroom and the basement and the yep. bonus areas and the garage and, and places to put my stuff. There is a lot of anxiety among millennials because they do not have what previous generations have yet. And they, they don't understand they're going to inherit it. Yeah, uh, because they want to go on Amazon today and buy some. Yep, and there's a lot of anxiety that's associated with the tremendous amount of debt, and there's there's shame that's involved because they look at their parents who seem to their parents are retiring at at sixty or sixty two or sixty five, and and they're saying, uh, uh, "Can you watch the dogs? We're going to Europe for three weeks." Yep, and they go, "I want to go to Europe." But that time is, they, 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 there's a lot of anxiety and shame about the fact that, that's a, that, that they are not seeing that accumulation like they saw with their parents. Yeah. And guys, there's so much more. We're running out of time here, but so many more things that we could talk about. Everything from reverse mentoring, where millennials want to have something to add, but they are open to older investing in, to learning how to empower and launch them rather than micromanage them, which would be a, a new Stephen Covey book idea. But let me just give you guys one last thought. Anything else you want to upload here before I close the day? We're out of time. Yeah, so much. <laughs> you bet. Well, guys, thanks for being on. And let me just leave your listeners with a thought because I've always led out of a good heart and good intention, but not always have led well. I think back to my student ministry days, Alan, my greatest student ministry regret in those first several years was thinking that I could and should disciple students from a Wednesday night stage. It's better than nothing. It's better than the poke in the eye. But I failed to see early on in ministry the need for that, that investment, that knee-to-knee investment, and failed to spend a lot of those time of those years. And friends, we have the opportunity, the unique opportunity right now to understand our different generations, to reach them with the gospel, connect them to the church, and then launch them to impact the world. The only win at church cannot be in-person attendance at your large group assembly on Sunday morning. We've got to encounter engagement. We have to figure out ways to love them where they are and build credibility. And it may be more important to be less incredible and be more credible with these generations that are coming along. Alan Jackson, Ray Sullivan, thank you, gentlemen, for jumping on. Good to talk to you, Scott. Glad Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you so much. And I pray that today's discussion with Alan and Ray will equip you to think deeply 
invest purposefully, and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.